Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Well, tonight I want to walk you through what I believe is one of Satan's chief strategies against you. Whether you're a new believer or whether you've been following Jesus a long time. Or maybe tonight will actually just simply be about, <clears throat> pardon me, equipping you to be able to help someone else. I find sometimes God gives me things for myself. And then other times I find it's marvellous how a conversation will come up in the following week and you go, oh, that's what that was about. I'm then able to help that person there. So let's begin speaking about this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Now, hold the scripture up there a minute. I understand that this is speaking about an event in heaven that is to uh, really uh, occur at the culmination of the ages. But can I say to you that like many things in Scripture, it's actually speaking to our life right now as well. So let me read that to you again. Now the kingdom, the rulership of our God and the power of His Christ have come. When? Once the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Many people are hindered from the fullness of what God has for them. They want to pray prayers of faith. But the accuser of the brethren has been working overtime on them. And instead of having confidence and assurity that God is going to use them, they instead go, I'm not really sure. And they lack the confidence to continue. And so the rulership of God and the power of His Christ are stopped from their full flow in their life. Verse 11 continues and says, And they overcame him, that's the accuser, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto the death. So I'm praying tonight as we share this, that this will give you a rock-solid grounding in who you are in Christ, in what God has done for you and in how you and I in the days that I had, I don't know what tomorrow will bring for you. Apart from this, I do know that the Holy Spirit will be at work and I also know that Satan will be at work. Now, I don't say that out of fear or out of some kind of, you know, uh, you know, anxiety about some kind of spiritual attack. Only that I know, whilst the devil might be a defeated foe, I also know that he's a very active one. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, you know, that our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I remember reading in history that between D-Day and V-Day, D-Day was the turning point of World War II, where they say the victory of the Allied forces was assured. V-Day was the cessation of hostilities. And I remember reading that between D-Day, when the war was kind of won, when victory was certain, and V-Day, when all the hostilities ceased, 
more people, more combatants lost their lives in that period of time than in any other nine-month period of the war. And I know that for us, for Christians, D-Day was Jesus on the cross. I know that we are now in that period between V-Day when the Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that the devil and all of his forces are cast into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. And that eternity then, there's no more temptation, no more pain as Revelation says. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more hurt, no more sickness, no more hatred, no more violence. But we are living in the space there. And so the enemy is still active against people's lives. And I say that so that you can understand. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, that verse in Daniel, where it says that it was given unto the uh, adversary to wear down the saints. And many people have been worn down. They're not stopped they just slowly but surely lose their cutting edge. It gets worn down. And like anything else, uh, any tool, any sharpening tool, if you don't keep sharpening it, it gets blunt and you've got to use more energy on it. Well, I think the same for Christians. We need to continually keep uh, the truth of God's Word sharp in our life and then we don't have to uh, use so much emotional energy trying to claw our way back to a place of wholeness. Revelation 12 tells us that the accuser of the brethren, listen to me, the accuser of the brethren can be stopped. I want you to get this. You don't have to live a yo-yo Christian life, some roller coaster of emotions life, where some days you are high in the presence of God and then the next day or two you stumble and fall and down you plunge into the abyss of feeling you know, rejected by God. I know what that feels like. My early days as a Christian, I think one of the very first lessons I learned was the unreliability of my emotions and how they were not the predictor of my place with God, they were a reflector of what I had been experiencing in my life. They weren't always accurate as to what God thought of me. Think about the prodigal son. We'll come to him in a minute. But think about the story from the young man's perspective. He's in a foreign country. He's wasted everything that his father gave him. He has now taken the worst job for a Jewish boy that you can have. The only job he can find is feeding pigs. But that's not paying anywhere near enough. And so he is reduced to actually envying the pods, it says, the, the scraps that they threw to the pigs to eat. He actually looks at those things and as a young Jewish boy is tempted to reach and snatch out one of those things from the mouth of an animal he never would have been near in his entire life. He'd never seen it on the family farm. It was an unclean animal in his home, in his household, in his community. But he's so worn down by all that's gone on, he's about to reach into that. And it's that moment where the boy says, I need to go home. 
It's at that moment where the boy says, I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to tell dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And the phrase for that in the Greek is of the lowest kind of worker. It wasn't the full-time employee. It wasn't somebody who had served for so long they had special treatment. They were like the least of the casual workers that anybody ever employed. They were there for a season work only, paid on a daily basis, no more than that. And this boy is saying, I'll take the least kind of job you've got available. He goes home. But what's in the father's heart, and I'm saying this because I want you to realise that what his emotions told him, his reception would be like, was the complete opposite of what the father was ready to do. It's so important that you get this. I've watched far too many people lose their place with God, stop walking with God because they believe what they felt. They felt like I don't belong, I don't fit, I won't be welcome. Now I know if you're a part of this service, maybe you might go, I don't think like that at all. I'd say wonderful, thank God that he's been able to build a secure salvation inside your life. But I've met many others for whom that hasn't been the case. And they wander out there like the prodigal son. They wander never realising they could have come home much earlier, long before the pigs, long before the devastation, long before the loss. The father was ready to welcome him home the day he left. Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he says this in 1 Timothy 3. And I mentioned this one in case any of you think, well, yeah, that's for new believers. He says, not a novice, lest they get lifted up with pride and they fall into the condemnation of the devil. He's talking about leadership here. He's talking about someone who's been seasoned and experienced in the faith. He's talking about somebody who has offered themselves for God to use. And he says that even those people can be vulnerable to the condemnation of the devil. I know that it trips up so many people. So now, as I said, let's come to the story of the Good Samaritan, starting at verse 18 of Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 18. I know many people that are a part of this service. English is not your native tongue. And there are people in all parts of the world and, and uh, they tell me that sometimes I speak a little bit quickly, too quickly. And uh, so, uh, listen to it again. Amen. Some of us just get excited and then I speed up without thinking about it. Luke 15 verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son gives him the speech he's rehearsed. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't come with an excuse? Isn't it interesting he doesn't say, but it wasn't my fault? He doesn't say, it was my friends. I fell into bad company before I knew it had happened. I've met so many people who think the answer to condemnation in their life to that sense of unworthiness is to look for a reason 
Well, it's not their fault. Well, you know, she seduced me. Well, I, I couldn't help it. You know, the temptation overwhelmed me. And um, I understand our humanity, but I plead with you, don't look for an excuse to be the answer. I'm going to bring you a little bit later the simple answer to what we're talking about here tonight. I just want to lay it out for every one of you. I know there are people that are part of this service. This will be a life-changing night for you. This will be the service where you go, got it, at long last, I know how to walk forward despite the things that I've done or the things that I didn't do. So the son rehearses the speech, but the father, verse 22, says to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Condemnation is always based on what you've done. Grace is always based on whose you are. The son comes with his mind and his awareness filled with what he's done. But grace, which is the Father's heart, was never about what He's done. Do you know in this story, one of the most remarkable things is that the Father never talks about anything the Son did. He never raises, but what happened to the money? What did you spend it on? He never talks about where He's been. He doesn't talk about the smell of the pigsty that's on this Jewish boy. Because grace doesn't refer to what we've done. It's based on whose you are. Listen again to the words of the Father. For this my son was dead. This my son. See, he wasn't looking for somebody to crawl their way back and to beg for forgiveness. He wasn't looking for another hired worker for the family farm. All he wants is his son to come home. Can I tell you tonight or today, wherever you are, can I tell you that the heart of God is that He's looking for sons and daughters to come home. There is nothing that makes heaven get more excited, more than all the miracles of healing, all the miracles and changes that occur across humanity, all of the wonderful cures that get found and the advances that people find and the wonderful organisations that help so many people. Can I tell you the only thing according to the Bible that makes heaven throw a party is when somebody says, I'm coming home to God. When somebody says, I'm going to give my life to Christ. When somebody, like people did this morning in the morning service, like people did when they text in their yes or they send it in their email and they say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to begin walking with God. See, uh, condemnation points out to you your past. It points out to you what you've done. But grace is based on whose you are. Secondly, condemnation is based on how you look and where you've been. Isn't that so? Well, you know, I've been there and this has happened. Grace gives an embrace and a welcome home. Thirdly, condemnation always says you are unworthy. Not just that you made a mistake. Not just pointing out the reality of your slip up. But condemnation always says to people, there's no way home. Sorry, 
this time you've gone too far. You know, in preparing this message, I was thinking about the time where Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how many times have I got to for, uh, forgive my brother when he sins against me? Well, he thinks that seven is a lot. And so he says seven times. And Jesus says back to him, I say unto you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's 490 times a day. I remember sitting down and working it out. I don't remember the figures, but it was something like every couple of minutes. And I think about that and we apply that to forgiving others, little realising oftentimes that Jesus said that. And if He said that's what we ought to do, God will certainly do no less. And so I'm confident in saying to you tonight that no matter how many times you've slipped up, no matter how unworthy you may feel, no matter how much the voice of the enemy is saying to you there's no way back, this time you've gone too far, grace will always hold up a sign that says this way home. Fourthly, condemnation always closes your mouth. I learned as a new Christian, that, you know, there was nothing like praise and worship to remind me of my sinfulness. Isn't that weird? But I've stood in church as a, as a, a relatively new believer and I'm going and all of a sudden then back to my mind, why was it in worship that it would come back to my mind that I'd said this, done this, didn't do this, whatever. And this is always what happened. Watch it. Are you ready? Hands would go down, mouth would go silent. I felt unworthy to stand and offer God even praise. That's why Romans chapter 10 verse 5 is so important for every single believer. It says, for Moses, the law of Moses, the Old Testament writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. See, that's why perfection is never going to be enough to be the answer for condemnation. No matter how much you try, I hope you're getting this tonight and I hope you're thinking it through because I've watched people think, well, I'll just try harder and they promise God I'll never do it again and they tell God and if only I can get rid of that and then they conquer that sin and then discover there was another one laying hidden, buried in their life they were unaware of. The Bible here says in the book of Romans, and this was written by the Apostle Paul who studied at the feet of the foremost teacher of his day, Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law inside out. And this man says, do you know what I've discovered? That when it comes to righteousness with God, when it comes to knowing your worthiness in the presence of the Father, your obedience to the law will always be insufficient. It's not enough. We know that from our society, despite the fact we've got more laws than we've ever had, ever in the history of humanity. We make them at incredible rates, parliament upon parliament, senate upon senate, state, federal. There's rules galore, but it hasn't eradicated the problems that exist in the human heart. I don't say that out of some negative. I just say it because we need to understand that if that's what I'm relying on, 
God, if I could just get rid of this thing in my life, then I'd be worthy. Then I'd be ready for you to use. Well, condemnation closes your mouth. Verse 6 goes on and says, But faith's way of getting right with God says. The King James Version says this, But the righteousness which is of faith speaks. And I remember reading that as a fairly young Christian because I had a well-worn track of repentance. Oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, uh, you know, I'll never do it again. I need to discover that in my heart there wasn't the capacity for perfection that I thought was the answer. And then I began to discover this verse and it says the righteousness which is of faith speaks. God says, don't say in your heart he'll go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. Don't say he'll go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back again. It actually says this message is very close to you. It's on your lips and your heart. That message is the message about faith. The message about faith that we preach. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by, watch this, for it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Oh, my mercy, I could stop right there and just give a benediction. Just say an amen and say right there, did you hear that? I want you to get it. Someone this week's going to need you to be equipped. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Remember what we read in Revelation 12 verse 11 before? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, loved not their lives under the death. The first part of the formula, if you want that, the first part of it is not dependent on you. Jesus died, shed his blood, and you had nothing to do with it apart from the fact it was your sin and mine that took him to the cross. Apart from that, I never contributed. I didn't help. I wasn't part of the assistant of that. He just did it independent of me. That's important to know. But the second thing is where I get to play a part, the word of my testimony. Now, if you get called to court and they ask you for your testimony concerning whatever it was that you were there for, they don't ask you about the future. They ask you about the past. A testimony is not what might happen or what you hope will happen. It's what has happened. Here is my testimony. Ready? Here's my testimony. God sought me. God found me. God accepted me. And God chose me. That's my testimony. God sought me. God found me. God accepted me. And God chose me. Go, Jeff, are you saying what I think you're saying? Well, let me give it to you like this. God knew before he saved you. God knew before he saved you every misstep, every sin, every mistake, every rebellion, every failure and every stupidity that you'd ever do. But he still saved you. That's why Christianity is not a religion. At least not like any other religion on the planet. People put them all in together and say they're all the same. And I go, I oh, know they're not. I'll never forget being in Cambodia. And as I was flying there, I knew I was going to be addressing thousands upon thousands of Cambodians. 
some of the leaders of government were there on that. And I said, Lord, what do I say to these people? And as clear as a bell in the plane, I wrote it down. I heard the Lord say, tell them that I love them. I had no idea that for those people, they'd been immersed and raised in a religion where God loving you was, was a foreign concept. I wasn't aware of that. And I remember getting up and saying, God loves the Khmer people. God loves Cambodia. And then I invited people to stand and say yes to Christ. Well, it seemed to me like thousands of people stood up. And I wanted to make sure that no one misheard me. I said to the interpreter, I said, please well, say it again. Tell them this is them saying yes to Christ and no to their idols and their prayers to their ancestors. And so he told them again, again, well, they all stood up again. And, you know, there were people there from the West, from Christian churches, who said to me later, you know, they misunderstood. And I'll never forget Mark Patterson, the chairman of Transform, was at that stage and engaged a, a, uh, a language instructor in Khmer. And this man, who was not a Christian at all, said and he'd been there apparently that day and he got quite strong with Mark. He said, I know some people think they didn't understand, but they understood every word. See the grace of God? I believe that there are people drowning in religion and rules and they need to go and take a big dip in the oceans of grace that God provides. You don't defeat condemnation by acts of penance, by promises to try harder. The Bible tells us it's by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's why tonight I arranged for us to be able to have communion together. Here it is. See this? Next time the devil comes and tells you about what you've done, the next time the accuser of the brethren comes to visit you and to remind you of your past, don't get into a debate. Don't get into an argument. Don't start trying to justify. What I want you to do is to point to this and say, here is my answer. It's the only one there is, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. Our host team are going to come and begin to serve those of you that are in the building. If you're with us at home, then please, I hope you've got something ready, but some of you wouldn't have been because you've just joined us without knowing what was going to happen. Then just simply, why don't you go get a biscuit or a piece of bread? I really don't think it matters, you know, whether it's special specially prepared or not, it'd be nice, I guess. But really, when Jesus did all this with the first disciples, uh, they were using such common elements. Maybe all you've got is water and a cracker where you are. For tonight, that'll absolutely suffice. Because it's not about the physicality of these, it's what about what they represent. Team, please come. The team, by the way, we always do this when we have communion, is that the team, we share it together before the service because they've got instruments and things that they've got to be doing. And they can't always just simply uh, stop and grab these things. So I want you to know they're not deliberately not taking it. They've just simply availed themselves of it earlier. I find it remarkable. 
I really do. I've been a Christian for many, many years now. And I'm still in awe of the grace of God. I still thank God that when the enemy turns up to me and says, you know, Jeff, you're unworthy. I go, yeah, you're right. But see this, here's the body that was broken for me. He willingly laid down his life. No one took it from him. There's a strange verse in the book, uh, Gospel of John, where it says, And this Jesus spoke about his death, which he should accomplish. No one I know thinks of death as an accomplishment. They think it of something to avoid. But he accomplished the death. Why? Because he knew what it would open up for all humanity. I point to the cup and say this represents his blood shed for me on that cross of Calvary for the remission, for the sending away, for the cleansing of all my sins. I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I doubt that anybody here would ever say, oh, I've grown tired of this. I love this moment. Some of you perhaps have never been at a place or heard anyone say that there was a God who was waiting for you. That there was someone with a big sign saying, welcome home. I want you to know tonight that the grace of God is there for you no matter who you are. I don't know what you've done, but it's actually not about how big your sins were or how small they were. You may not have rolled with the pigs in the pig pen. Maybe you just kind of came home because you were tired of where you were. Maybe the smell of the pig is not on you like it was on him. But no matter whether your sins were big or small, the Father's waiting for you and all you've got to do is say yes. If you'd like to do that, we're going to take this in a minute, but I don't want anyone to miss out on saying yes to Christ. Simply text yes if you're in Australia. You can just text yes to 0488 826 392. If you're outside of Australia or you'd like to get our everyday help for 30 days to walk with God, comes from us here at Metro, no one else. If you like that, then you can go to yes.metrochurch.org.au if you're in the building. 0488 826 392 yes.metrochurch.org.au whichever way you use it it will get to you every day for the next 30 days a different Bible verse every day and a different prayer every day that you can pray and make yours Heavenly Father thank you for this time together thank you Holy Spirit that you want us to live lives free we want to see the accuser of the brethren cast down we want to see the power and the joy of our Christ, the kingdom of our Lord and His power released through our lives and the lives of others. Thank you, Lord. Our unworthiness has been superseded and replaced by Jesus' worthiness freely given to our life. So let's stand together if you're in the building. If you're at home, stand with us and let's eat and drink together as the family of God we are and then the team are going to lead us in worship in Jesus' name.